Well, my name's Joe Valenti, and I oversee our 6th through 12th graders, and so welcome. We're glad that you're here. Welcome to all of you um, folks online. We're glad that you are here. And uh, this morning, uh, I just want to take a few moments to say, Browns football's back, folks. You know what I mean? I was standing there in front of the TV on Thursday night, and I, oh, man. Woo! Yeah! You know what I'm saying? Okay. Anyway. But, but some of you in the room, like I heard you, you're the, you're the real Browns fans, right? Like every year, this is how serious my wife and I are. We were married in December, and so every year to commemorate our wedding vows, we bundle up and we go to a Browns game in the middle of December, no matter how cold it is, right? And then there are some of you, there are some of you out there, you live in Ohio, you live in the Cleveland area, and yet for, I don't know what reason, you root for the Steelers. And it just, yeah. And, and here's the thing. Here's what's even worse. Here's what's even worse. At least you Steeler fans are honest about it. There are some of you that for years, you've spent Sunday afternoons doing something other than rooting on the Browns. And now that Baker's here, and now that we're good, you just want to slide back onto the bandwagon, right? Like you're the, you're the fake fans. And I tell that story, um, yeah, honestly, who you root for in football doesn't really matter at all. But we're going to meet three responses to Jesus this morning. We're going to meet those who are faithful to him, those who are his foes, and those who are fake followers. And while who you root for in football really doesn't matter at all, how you respond to Jesus matters immensely. It's the most important decision that you'll ever make. And so we're going to look at the faithful, the foes, and the fakers in our parable this morning in Luke 19. So turn there with me, if you would. The parable uh, is about a nobleman. And a nobleman who goes off, he's like a prince, and he goes off to receive a kingdom. He goes to be coronated as the king of this area. And he leaves uh, his servants with some money and responsibilities to take that money and make a profit while he is gone. Uh, there are also some who oppose this guy becoming the king. And what happens is this parable tells us about the responses to the nobleman becoming king. And so uh, before we go to the text, uh, let's pray and ask the Lord to bless our time together. <clears throat> Father, I thank you for your word, that your word is truth, that we have firm foundation under our lives that you've given us to follow. And Lord, this is a difficult parable. Um, uh, these are not... Um, easy things that we consider today. They are weighty things. And so would you, through the power of your Holy Spirit, uh, bring whatever application necessary to the hearts of all who would hear your word preached this morning. I ask, Lord, that you would guard me from error. Come be our teacher. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Luke 19, starting in verse 11, it says, as they heard these things, he proceeded to tell a parable because he was near to Jerusalem and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. So we have the reason right here why Jesus tells the parable. Two reasons, because they were close to Jerusalem and because they thought that the kingdom of God would appear immediately. So this bears like, we need to understand what this means because it's the context for the whole parable. 
The Jews, um, for thousands of years, had been living under the oppression of several other world powers. Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Persia, and now they were under the rule of the mighty Roman Empire. And um, God had promised to the people of Israel, to the Jewish people, through the prophets, that there would be a deliverer, a Messiah, who would come and who would deliver them. And they have been waiting and waiting and waiting, and now... All signs point, all of these prophecies are being fulfilled in Jesus' birth and life and his teaching and miracles that this guy, Jesus, is the Messiah, that he is the deliverer that they had been waiting for. And so everybody's getting really, really excited, but they're a little, they, they, they sort of misunderstand a bit what Jesus is going to do. See, they think he's going to come into Jerusalem and assume power and uh, authority over an earthly kingdom. They think he's going to put a crown on his head and sit on a throne and that they will live in peace under his rule instead of under Roman tyranny. But that's not at all what Jesus has planned. In fact, he uh, plans to come to Jerusalem and die a cruel death on a cross. And see, this is why, like, if, you, uh, if you've ever heard the story of Palm Sunday, right? Jesus comes into Jerusalem, the capital city, and people are waving palm branches and they're singing, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Not because they're excited about him coming to die, but because they think that he is going to crown himself king. They think that this is the moment for his earthly reign. Well, that's not the case. Jesus doesn't plan to take the kingdom here on earth by force. He plans to start a heavenly kingdom by humble obedience. And so he tells this parable. Verse 12. He said, therefore, a nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. Calling ten of his servants, he gave them ten minas and said to them, engage in business until I come. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, we do not want this man to reign over us. So it's a pretty straightforward story, but as we have learned, a parable is an earthly story that has a heavenly or spiritual meaning. So each of the characters in this story represent someone or something else. We're to understand the nobleman as Jesus and this nobleman who goes away to receive a kingdom. See, when Jesus came to the earth the first time, he came not to reign as king, but to die a death. And he died on the cross for the forgiveness of all of the sins of all of those who would trust in him. He rose three days later from the grave, and then the Bible tells us that he ascended back into heaven, and that right now he sits at the right hand of God, crowned, preparing and waiting for his second return, when he will return to the earth, when he will judge both good and evil, and will set up his kingdom for all eternity. And the only two roads at that point are heaven and hell. So this idea of a nobleman going to receive a kingdom is this picture of Jesus having lived, died, resurrected, and gone back to heaven to receive his kingdom. And while he's gone, he calls his servants, those followers of his, and says, here's some money. Now, this sermon is not just about money. It's not just about use your resources. The mina here, so a mina was about... $7,200-ish. So it's about uh, three months wages for a, for a 
general worker. So 15 bucks an hour times four weeks, three months, 7,200-ish. That's about how much he gives each of these servants. And he says, um, I want you to take this and I want you to do business with it. The mina, however, is supposed to be understood as more than just our finances. The mina is to be understood as anything that God has given us that can be leveraged for the kingdom. So it could be a spiritual gift that only comes from God. Helps, wisdom, knowledge, um, mercy, administration, shepherding. It could be your singleness. It could be your bank account. It could be the office where you work and the people that you're surrounded by. It could be the place where you live. It could be your ability to listen well, to empathize with people, your ability to crunch numbers, your ability ability to sell something, your unique personality. And the list goes on and on and on and on and on, right? Everything that we have been given, everything that we've been blessed with by God is to be understood as the mina. So we have Jesus who has gone back to heaven to receive a kingdom. He will return. And while he's gone, he has said to those of his followers, he has said, here are, here are all these things. Here are these gifts and talents and skills and personalities and positions. And I want you to use them to do business. I want you to use them to, to do something, to make a profit. And we have Jesus' final marching orders to us in Matthew 28. We know it as the Great Commission. It says this, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So we're to take everything that God has given us, all of our makeup, all of our skills, all of our resources, all of our passions, and leverage it, do business. What business? The business of making disciples. Calling people to follow Jesus and teaching them to obey Jesus. This is a very narrow call. Right? This, is, this is not just, hey, do whatever you want that makes you feel good. This is not just re- be a really nice person. There are some really great things that we do as a church or as Christians that are not the end goal. We feed people who are hungry. We clothe people who need clothes. We, uh, we, we drill fresh water wells. Right? There are lots of things that we do because we care about suffering, but we care most about eternal suffering. So we leverage all of those things in order that we might call people to believe on and follow Jesus in order that they might obey and that they might call more people to follow Jesus and multiply his followers. So that's the setup. That's the picture. The nobleman, Jesus, gone to receive a kingdom. He's given us gifts, skills, talents, and said, hey, go do something with it. And then... Let's see how the story plays out. Verse 15. When he returned, having received the kingdom. Now, pause there really quick. So I think this part is really, really important. When he returned, having received the kingdom. If you look to the previous verse, we see there are some citizens, people who are not followers 
of Jesus or followers of this nobleman, they actually don't want this man to reign over them. These are the enemies of God. And they, they actually send a delegation. They send people to try and convince whoever's going to crown the nobleman to not crown him king. Don't let this man reign over us. And then verse 15, he returned having received the kingdom. Why is that important? Because it shows us that the opinions of the foes, the enemies of Jesus, their opinions and their railing against him have, actually, have absolutely no bearing on whether or not he receives the kingdom, right? They only have two scenes. Only two scenes for the foes of Jesus in this parable. They don't want him to reign over them, and then they die. That's it. See, you and I, our opinions about what God should be like or whether or not he should be in charge or what we don't like about his character have absolutely no ability to actually change his character or mitigate his wrath or change the future in which every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Having, amen, having returned, receiving the kingdom, their railing is of no effect. So the nobleman receives the kingdom. Jesus is the king and will return. What happens when he returns? Verse 15, when he returned, having received the kingdom, he ordered these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him that he might know what they had gained by doing business. So they're called to account. I want to see what you've done with what I've given you. Now, some people have asked this question, like, are Christians judged at all? The answer is yes, we are. The Bible speaks of two judgments. The first is a judgment of salvation. And the Bible says that uh, the followers of Jesus will be saved because the blood of Jesus has covered their sins and the foes of Jesus will spend eternity in hell. That is a very serious judgment. But then there's another judgment that Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians 5. He says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. So there is a judgment of salvation, but then there's also a judgment of our works or of our deeds. And just like this nobleman calls his servants to account, Jesus will call followers, uh, f his, his followers to account. And will ask, what is it that you did with the mina? The things that I gave you, the resources, the personality, the skills, the talents, the gifts from the Holy Spirit, your position, your family, the fact that you live in America, all these things. What did you do with it. I sort of have this illustration in my mind that Jesus will kind of blow on our lives and like a dandelion, everything that is of the flesh, right? Everything that we did for selfish gain will just... And what will be left is what we really did out of a true heart for the king. 
So we will be called to account. In Matthew 6, Jesus says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves thieves do not break in and steal. I think I said, do not lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. It's do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, but instead lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Well, how do you do that? How do you do that? Can you go into your PNC virtual wallet and click on the heaven button and shoot it off like... No, like the way that we lay up treasures in heaven is by taking the mina that we've been given and investing it in the cause of Christ, in the great commission, in the, in the aim of making disciples. That's the call, and we will be called to account. Just as these servants are, let's see how they respond. Verse 16. The first came before him saying, Lord, your mina has made 10 minas more. And he said to him, well done, good servant. Because you've been faithful in a very little, you shall have authority over 10 cities. And the second came saying, Lord, your mina has made five minas. And he said to him, and you are to be over five cities. So we have two faithful servants. They're the real deal. They do what the master commands them to do. And I want you to notice two things. First, the reward of Jesus is lavish. So this first guy, uh, he, he, he has a total of 11 minas. So le- like, let's round it. It's probably around $80,000 that he makes, okay? He's been, gi- he's been given 7,200. He, he ends up bringing back to the master about 80,000 bucks. Like not bad, right? Um, if you like did that in your first year of, you know, sales, like, you know, maybe that's, maybe that's good. You say, hey, 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 boss, I did a good job. I made you $80,000. Like if you have a lemonade stand, you're crushing it, right? Like you're doing really well. But, but in like business, let's say you make $80,000 and, and that might earn for you like a 1% raise or a bonus. Like you might get some sort of perk. But this, when he says you're over 10 cities, this would be like your boss saying, great, you're the new regional VP of sales and you're going to make a half a million next year. <laughs> the gift here of the nobleman is extraordinary. It's extraordinary. And that is what we can expect of our obedience when Jesus comes again and judges. If we have been obedient and faithful with our lives, with our mina, he is a lavish rewarder. Now, parentheses. What I'm not talking about here is the prosperity gospel. Many of you know how I feel about that. I'm not talking about do something for Jesus so that you can drive a Bentley. It's not what I'm talking about. It's a, it's a, that is a dangerous doctrine. It's a false doctrine and it's a foolish doctrine. Notice where these rewards come in the timeline. After the king returns. He is not worried primarily about our comfort on this earth. He's worried about making disciples. And so our lives on this earth, using our mina, is to be done with humility and obedience and service to the king. And we will look forward to the reward in heaven, whatever it may be.
So Jesus, Jesus lavishly rewards those who obey him. Secondly, he's more concerned with the attitude of your heart than the work of your hands. See, the, the way that the parable lays out, the way that the text lays out is really important for us. The first guy comes and he says, I've made 10 minus, great, lavish reward. The second guy comes and said, I've made five minus, great, lavish reward. Notice what he does not say. He doesn't say, did you see the guy over there who made 10? What have you been doing? Or he doesn't say, I was really looking for eight, so no reward for you. Now, why, why does that matter? Why is that important? Well, here's the thing. Like, not all of us are Billy Graham type people. Not all of us will have the stage or the resources or the impact like an R.C. Sproul or a John Piper or, or some of the other, like Hudson Taylor, the great missionary to China. Not all of us are 10, like, not almost 10 minus. I'm like a three minor guy, right? Like that, like maybe a two minor guy. Like that's kind of where I'm, where I'm at. Like I, I, I'm not, I'm not like some of those you know, mammoths of the faith. But, but, but here's the good thing that this text shows us. It's not about how much you produce. It's about what is the attitude in your heart in obedience to the master. See, if the next guy would have come and said, I only made three, or the next guy said, oh, I only made two. The issue is not whether you got to 10 or not. The issue is whether you are obedient to use your mina about the great commission in obedience to the king. These guys did what the master told them to do. Their actions revealed their attitude. So there we have the faithful. And next we meet the guy that I'm going to call the faker. Verse 20. Then another came saying, Lord, here's your mina, which I kept laid away in a handkerchief. For I was afraid of you because you are a severe man. You take what you did not deposit and reap what you did not sow. So the guy comes and he goes, here's, 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 here's the money back. It's like he took the 7,200, stuck it in the glove box, closed it up. And when the guy comes back, he pulls it out and he goes, here you go. And then he gives this excuse. He says, um, I, was, uh, I was afraid of you. You're really mean. And then he accuses him of being unfair. You reap what you did not sell. Like you're just a bat. Like whose mina was it to begin with? Who do you think you are? He gives this excuse and the nobleman just calls him on the carpet. Verse 22, I will condemn you with your own words, you wicked servant. You knew that I was a severe man, taking what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow. Why then did you not put my money in the bank? And at my coming, I might have collected it with interest. See, he sees right through this guy. He goes, oh, you thought I was a mean guy, right? I'm, 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 a, I'm a bad master. You were afraid of me. Well, if that's the case, if you were really afraid of me, I get maybe that you did, wouldn't want to put it in some sort of risky investment. But if you were really afraid that when I came back, I was going to be mad, why not just put it in the bank and just get a little bit of return? Why not do that? And he cuts right to this guy's core because he knows that's not the reason that he didn't use the mina. The reason that he didn't use the mina is because he has no intention of submitting his life to the rule of the nobleman. His heart, his attitude is actually to be numbered with the foes. 
right? His attitude in his heart is, I really don't want this man to reign over me. I don't want him to be in charge. But this guy's a little more crafty than the other guys. He's no dummy. He's kind of hedging his bets. Like, that's how I really feel, but I'm not going to be as loud and outspoken as these guys are. If he really does come back and he is crowned the king, I kind of want to be on the winning side. So his, the, the attitude of his heart is not to serve the master, but he's sort of like trying to, trying to like fit in with the crowd. Sounds a lot like Judas. Right? Judas was part of the 12 disciples. He did the things. He wore the right outfit. He was with the right people. And they walk into Jerusalem, and Judas thinks he's on the winning team. Judas thinks he's hedged his bets. And he thinks that Jesus is going to assume the throne and put on the crown. And as soon as he sees things sort of go south, when he realizes, wait, 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 why haven't you put on the crown yet? As soon as Judas sees that he might not be on the winning team, what does he do? He sells Jesus out. And that is the heart attitude of this man. He's fake. He's not really a follower. He's just like millions of people all over the world that walk into churches every Sunday morning that want Jesus' promises, they want his benefits, but they don't want to humble themselves and submit to his rule and lordship. People who hang around church might even have some responsibilities, might, might be a part of a group, but um, they're trying to hedge their bets. They have no intention to serve, to take that mina and leverage it for the kingdom of God. That's what the fake believer is like. And the nobleman sees right through him. But he did get one thing right. The foolish servant got one thing right, at least in part. This nobleman is severe. He is severe. Let's finish the parable, verse 24. He said to those who stood by, take the mina from him and give it to the one who has 10 minus. And they said to him, Lord, he has 10 minus. I tell you that everyone who has more will be given, but from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. But as for these enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before me. End of parable. That's all that Jesus says. See, there are a lot of people who don't care for the wrath and for the justice of God. And they base a whole doctrine on this kind of idea of, well, just love people like Jesus. And while Jesus is loving and gracious and merciful, he is just as well. And he will return one day. Revelation 19 tells us about it. 
Starting in verse 11, it says, Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He's clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on a white horse. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. The King will return and he will call you to account unbeliever enemy of God he will call you to account for your sin and if you have not accepted by faith the forgiveness of Jesus Christ you will be condemned for your sin and you will spend eternity in hell away from the presence of God where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth that never stops. And believers, you will be judged for how you went about doing business with your mina. Friends, if you're here and you're a foe of Jesus, you're just against him. I don't know what brought you here this morning, but I'm glad you came. Maybe your mom dragged you, maybe a friend bugged you, maybe you have to come because of your family or because your spouse, and you're just, you're sitting here and you just go through the motions. You're like, I want nothing to do with Jesus. I just want to be as honest and loving as I can with you this morning. If you reject, your, your, your rejection of Jesus has no bearing on whether or not you will be judged. And I don't want that for you. So maybe today is the day where you submit your life to Jesus. Maybe today you say a prayer and just say, God, I'm, God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for the things that I've done. I, I believe that Jesus died on the cross to take the penalty for my sin. Would, would, would you forgive me? Would you just come into my life and change things and transform me? Just make me new. Lead, lead my life. Maybe today is your day to become a faithful follower instead of a foe. And maybe you're in the middle this morning. Maybe you're the faker. And I don't know who you are, but, but I hope and pray. Well, I, I trust. I trust that the Holy Spirit has convicted you this morning if you're just going through, through, through the motions. You walk in this church every Sunday and maybe you put on the face and you shake hands and you do the things that you're supposed to do, but you leave this place every Sunday and you have no desire to serve the master with the mind that you've been given, with the life and resources that you've been given. You just, you have no, no desire to fight the habitual sin in your life. You just keep, just keep living however you want and you keep walking back into this church and then you walk out Monday through Saturday and do just whatever you want. And, and, and maybe you think you have this, this like little thought in your head, like, well, I'm a, I'm a pretty good person. And let me, let me just tell you, faker, foolish person, just like the nobleman sees right through the wicked servant, 
When you stand before God Almighty, you will not be able to sell your way out of judgment. He will blow on you like a dandelion. And everything that was done for you will blow away in the wind. And all that will be left is what's really there. You won't be able to fake your way out of it. So let today be the day when you humble yourself and bow the knee because the king has not yet returned and there's still time for you. Because here's the kind of king that we serve. Not the kind of king who just assumed a throne and acts like a dictator. No, 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 no. We have a king. Jesus Christ is a master who leads by example. Philippians 2, starting in verse 5, says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. That's astounding. That the king, in order to save the wicked servants and his enemies, would become a servant himself. By taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, listen to it, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even death on a cross. Therefore, that's what earned him the crown. That's what earned him the crown. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus took his mina and he was humbly obedient to the point of death and he made the greatest return of all time with his mina, buying back the wicked servant into faithfulness buying back the faker that would humble him or herself before the king. He doesn't, do ask, he, he, he doesn't ask us to do something that he has not already done. So again, I'll just say, if the Lord has, if the Holy Spirit has moved on your heart and you know this morning, I'm an enemy of God, or you know, I'm a faker, I'm playing this game Tell God you're sorry this morning. Turn from your sin. I would ask you to do something really bold. At the end of the service, there's gonna be folks over there in the corner where that lamp is on. Would you go and talk to somebody? Good, godly people that love Jesus and wanna tell you about what it means to truly be a faithful follower of his. Go and talk to somebody. Be accountable. And what about the faithful? the faithful here in the room. What's our application? What do we do with this? You know, I think a lot of us, 
myself included, there are some days when I just go, I just want the king to come back. Man, I look at the news, or I look at things, I look at the challenges that my children are facing. I talk to the students that are in our youth ministry, and their, their pain just hangs on my heart. And I just, I just want the king to come back and set everything right. And many of you may feel that way. You've been faithful, some of you, for decades. And you're just ready. You're ready for the white horse to come back. But here would be my challenge to you. He hasn't come back yet. And so we can't just sit around twiddling our thumbs, waiting for him to come back. We must continue to be about the business of the Great Commission. I would challenge you, every day that you wake up, Every day that you have breath, that you wake up and the king is not returned, take the mina that you've been given, whatever it is, your time, resources, talent, gifts, position, and leverage it to go and find more foes and more fakers to call the enemies of God to come and be a part of his family. Until the day that he returns or we pass from this life, be about the business of the king. And if you are, man, I'll tell you what, I hope I have a front row seat when the faithful people of CBC stand before that judgment of works. I hope I get to sit in the front row to watch Kyle and Amy Gustafson hear, well done. I hope I get to sit in the front row to hear Jesus say to James and Christy Fruits, well done. I hope I get to sit in the front row when the ladies from Mom Taraj step up there and they hear, well done. It is the greatest joy to serve with many of you who are the faithful followers of Jesus. So for the faithful this morning, be encouraged. Be encouraged and be challenged to continue to use your mina and leverage it for the kingdom that you might hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this parable. I thank you, Lord, for the many faithful in this church for the ways that we have leveraged our mina both individually and as a church that we might see more and more people come to be faithful followers of Jesus. Help us to find more. Help us to find more in our neighborhoods and in our workplaces and all the way to the ends of the earth. Help us to find more and call them to be followers of Jesus. And Lord, I pray this morning for those who are in the room who are fake followers or who are just blatantly set against you. They are your foes. Would you capture their heart? Would you do the unique work of granting them repentance this morning that they might see themselves for who they are for the first time, that they might see their sin as disgusting and come to you and repent? and that they might receive new life. Because you're not just a dictator. You're a king who humbled yourself as as a servant and laid down your life to buy back your enemies. Hallelujah. We love you this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.